Now do me a favor. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew's Gospel, the 19th chapter. It was in the 1990s that Steve Green sang this song, Find Us Faithful. Listen to some of the words. We're pilgrims on a journey of the narrow road, and those who've gone before us line the way, cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Will those who are following behind you find you faithful? Will the little eyes that are watching your journey be encouraged in their journey? Are you leaving a legacy of faithfulness? Are you making it easier or more difficult for those in your path to run after Jesus? How do we live so that those who come behind us may find us faithful? That's what we're going to deal with in these next few minutes. But first, let's pray once more. So that's our prayer in Jesus' name, Father, that those who come behind us, even on this day, would find us faithful. Lord, that our words, our actions, our response to your movement in our life would be so clear and defining that others are encouraged in their journey. Lord, help us to look behind us and see those who are coming so that we will recognize the stakes with which we're dealing. Jesus, as we read your words, we ask that you would bring us to the moment in which they were spoken. We know you're present with us, so would it be as if we were in that place at that time? Teach us what we need to know. Give us, Lord, what we need to have. But most importantly, make us different because we're here. Lord, we recognize that these can be eternal impacting moments. Would you save someone today? Would you change our perspectives today? Would you burden our hearts today? All for your glory. So let the words I'm saying and even my thoughts be pleasing to you. Oh, Lord, my strength, my redeemer. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus loves children. That may be the least shocking statement you've ever heard in a message. Of course, Jesus loves children. A lot of us grew up in church and we learned the song, right? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. 
I learned that church, that song in church growing up. Unfortunately, I didn't grow up in a church where I, I saw a picture of all the children of the world. I just saw white children in the church I grew up in. And so I'm so thankful that my children have grown up in a church where they see in the body of Christ the diversity represented in the family of God. Because Jesus does love all the children of the world. And that includes you, those of you who are children and those of you who are childlike, maybe in your faith. Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the message we're going to get from the passage of Scripture we're going to look at first today. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. What's taking place in this passage of scripture is very clear. These Jewish parents were simply following tradition. That's what they had been taught literally in the Talmud to bring their children to the rabbi so that the rabbi might pray over them and pray God's blessing upon them. This is not a foreign concept to us today. In fact, it's not unusual after our services for someone to come and, and to say to me, would you just pray for my family or would, would you pray over my child? But it's specifically common when we have what we call parent-child dedication, where a, a young mother and a young father brings their child before the church family, and we pray for them, and we ask God's blessings upon them. That's exactly what was taking place in this context. But this was particularly special, because these people were bringing them to the rabbi known as Jesus the Christ. The one who saves, who is the anointed one. So they, they knew what these hands could do when they came to Jesus. They had seen him touch and heal the blind. They had seen him break bread and feed thousands of people. They knew that the hands of Jesus were different. So, so they were bringing their children to Jesus. Boy, what an important principle right here that we should want to get our children to Jesus just as quick as we can. That should be our desire as parents, as grandparents. Get your children to Jesus. Wisest one who ever lived, Solomon says this in Proverbs, train up a child in the way that they should go, in the way they were bent or made to be, so that when they're older, they'll not depart from it. I like what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about this. He said, ere your boy has reached to seven, teach him well the way to heaven. Better still, the work will thrive if he learns before he's five. What's the principle? A child can come to Jesus. This is important. It's so important because according to LifeWay research, 94% of adult Christians say they made their decision to follow Christ before they were 18 years old. Just think about that for a moment. 
Almost 95% of people who gather today in churches around the world say they began their relationship with Christ before they were 18 years old. So what happens? These parents are bringing their children to Jesus. Jesus is surrounded by his disciples. Surely they're excited. They're getting them in line. They're just welcoming them. I'm so glad you brought your children to Jesus, right? No. These snotty disciples rebuked them. We can, we can tell that they had been hanging out with the religious peoples because that's what the Pharisees would have done. The Pharisees didn't see children as of having value in the journey of faith, in the ways of God. So the disciples rebuked the people. Just think about what that means. They had spent two years with Jesus, sharing his life, but they didn't share his heart. That tells me that you can be close to the Lord in proximity and yet be far from him in priority. You can be a part of the things of God even in your day-to-day -day life and not live the way God wants you to live as a follower of Jesus. So notice the response of Jesus. Excuse me? Back off. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them from coming to me. Stop stopping the children. So the, the disciples rebuked the people, and Jesus rebuked the disciples. What's the point here? Jesus wanted us to see that he loves children. Jesus wanted us to see the way he views and cares for children. So what did he do? He did exactly what the parents wanted them to do. He prayed for them. He laid hands on them. He blessed them. So how does this get practical? First thing I want to ask you, are you loving children the way God wants you to love children? How do I relate to that personally? Well, I can't talk about this without stating the obvious. That means that as a follower of Christ, I have to be for all of those who are created in the image of God. That means I have to be pro-life. I have to recognize that that baby, as we, we now can see with 3D images conceived and growing in the womb of a mother, is precious and created in God's image, knit together for a purpose, ultimately to shine for his glory. So just a practical way right there. It also means that I have to be pro-adoption and foster care. Because I can look around and, and see, for example, in our county at any given time, about 2,000 children that are taken out of their homes and, and not being cared for in the way that they should. And yet God has a solution. We read about that in James chapter 1 and verse 27. The half-brother of Jesus says, this is pure and undefiled religion that you care for the widows and the orphans that you care for children. So, man, I, I hear that, and, and I had to apply that to my life personally. And so 
We're in the midst of National Adoption Month, and and I would just tell you, in our family, we made the challenging choice to step out in faith and recognize that that which God has given us was not just to build a bigger pile of stuff, but that He wants us to invest in those that are coming behind us. And and so we adopted a a precious little girl that just a few moments ago kissed me on on the cheek as I headed out to church and and told me she loved me. And and we're, we're impacting not only her life, but her forever because we're trying to love children the way Jesus love children what about as a church how do we do that well we have to continue to provide a safe and nurturing place where children can experience the face of God and so that they can feel the hands of God just as those children did on that day How do they encounter the face of God? Well, we teach them God's word. We sing praises to God. We teach them to pray just as Jesus taught us to pray. How do they experience the hands of God? Well, they do so through your hands and my hands. So we commit to serve. And so I'm I'm so thankful for really about 15% of the people who are part of this church who serve actively in some way in the life of the church. But the reality is a lot of you have kind of taken on that role of consumers when we need you to love children just as, as Jesus loves children. We need you to serve in our preschool ministry or our children's ministry or our, our student ministry. And maybe just for that hour and a half, one week a month or so, just to invest in the lives of those that are coming behind you, that that next generation. Why? Because Jesus loves children. But there's more I want you to see. Jesus loves children, but Jesus wants us to have a childlike faith. We're about to see that the disciples should have already known that which Jesus had to rebuke them about. They should have already known how Jesus felt about children. So turn back one page, and I want you to look in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Calling to him a child, he, he put in the midst of them, and he said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, there's a lot I see in this passage. The first thing I see is often we ask the wrong questions. Do you ever find yourself guilty of asking the wrong questions? We're geared naturally like these disciples. We ask, what's in it for me? How how do I benefit from this? How do do I look better as a result of this? That's what they were asking. And, And part of it's because they had a wrong perspective. Their perspective was that greatness was accomplished through power or through accomplishment or through what you did. And so they were wanting the formula, Jesus, what makes us great? Not only did they not understand greatness, they didn't understand the kingdom. We've discussed this, but they were still expecting that Jesus would bring about some earthly, political, military kingdom. 
that he would orchestrate some kind of gathering of the of the people of God in a way that those in the world would say, yes, they're the ones. And yet that was never what Christ's kingdom was about. Jesus was going to turn their whole way of thinking upside down. Jesus was more concerned with their posture than he was with their platform. And that should be a lesson to us, particularly in this age of social media and influence that we understand in the the Jesus model the way up is is down the way to greatness is humility that's what Jesus would say look at it again in verse 3 and he said truly I say to you unless you turn and become like children you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven He said, I want you, all of you, to have childlike faith. That's how you're great. Jesus was saying his way is simple. And so that's why as a church, for many, many years, Christ's followers have have reached out to children, to those coming behind us and said, you can follow Jesus. When the world says you have to wait on so many things, the greatest thing you need in your life, you don't have to wait on you can understand it. You can follow Jesus. And in fact, in our church, we, we say it's as simple as A, B, C. We say, A, you've got to admit that you're sinners in need of a Savior. B, you've got to believe that Jesus died for your sins. And C, you've got to commit your life to following Jesus. Simple, right? It's simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy because it requires our humility. And that's something we humans are not good at. Just as the disciples were not good at this. We want to puff ourselves up, not put ourselves down. But Jesus is saying we need to humble ourselves. That's what we're here for. Someone said the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you learn what you were born for. And Jesus is saying you you were born to humble yourself. Jesus would even model this, and Paul describes it in Philippians 2, right? That he, being God himself, humbled himself in the form of a servant, even to the point of death, death on a cross. So Jesus lived a humble life and he called us to live a humble life. What does it mean to be humble? He is a word which literally describes dependency or needfulness. He's saying you've got to get to this point where you understand you need him. Disciples were not there. They were thinking about their needs, but they weren't thinking about Jesus. What about you? Do you have a childlike faith? Have you committed your life to follow Jesus? Now, this is a good place for me to stop. Because after almost 30 years in ministry, here's what I've discovered. There are a lot of adults who don't understand the simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ. Like the disciples 
we're assuming that to be great in his eyes, we have to earn or deserve his favor. So like the Pharisees, we make it about our religious involvement or the rituals that we've accomplished. Several weeks ago, I, I had the privilege of baptizing a new friend who had grown up very, very active in the Catholic faith. He, he said, I knew all the rituals, I knew all the biblical answers, but I never understood that God wanted a relationship with me. So maybe you just need to be reminded today that no matter who you are, no matter what your past, you're a person like me that was born separated from God because of sin in your life. And that sin, if left undealt with, would cause you to be punished not only by missing out on God's best on this side of heaven, but you will be punished by spending eternity separated from Him. But God does not desire that. That's why He gave us Jesus. You know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That's why I like to say you're never more like God than when you give, because He gave us Jesus. Why did He do that? So that whosoever would believe or trust in Him would have forever life. What it says in Romans 5, that God demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took all the anger of God for your sin and my sin, and he poured it on himself. And as a result, you and I have an opportunity to experience God's forgiveness and to come to him in a dependent needfulness and to let him lead our lives. If you've never taken that step. I want to invite you to do that right now. Would you bow your head with me? Right where you are. I first want to ask a question. If you know for certain. That if your life ended today. You would spend forever in heaven. If you know that you've got a relationship with Christ. That you're forgiven and saved. I want to give you an opportunity to affirm that. And so right where you are, if you know for certain you've got that relationship with God and you're going to spend eternity in heaven, would you just slip your hand up right where you are and you can slip it right back down wherever you are? That's awesome. What a testimony. It's good for us to be able to testify to that eternal security we have in Jesus. But some of you weren't able to raise your hand. Or maybe you raised your hand, but you, you're not sure. Today is the day, I believe, of your salvation. Would you come as a child to Jesus? Would you trust him with a childlike faith? Would you give him control of your life? Maybe you would pray this prayer right where you are. Oh, Jesus. Just tell him, Jesus, I need you. I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sin. I know you're living today. So I receive your forgiveness. And I commit my life to you. From this moment on, I'm going to live dependent on you. Thank you, Jesus. 
for this simple pathway of faith. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but I want to give those of you who just prayed that prayer, wherever you are, a chance to testify to God's goodness in your life. So wherever you are, if you just prayed prayed that prayer with me and you now know that you have a relationship with Christ, because that's what the Bible says. These things are written, the things we're reading are written so that you can know you have eternal life. You've now come to Christ as a child, you can have that certainty. If you now have that relationship with Christ and you have that certainty, would you just raise your hand right where you are, all across this room or other places where we're gathered in worship today? That's awesome. Welcome to God's family. It's the most important thing you could ever do. So Jesus, thank you for loving children and thank you for wanting us to have a childlike faith. As we continue to look at your word, would you teach us how we can apply this childlike faith right where we are for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus loves children. Jesus wants us to have a childlike faith. And Jesus wants us to see children as he sees children. This is where Jesus gets kind of firm. Now, most of you know our daughter that we adopted. She was born blind, and so her hearing is, is very intense. And even this morning, as I was studying and working on this message downstairs, she was upstairs, and her body clock didn't tell her that she got an extra hour of sleep. So she woke up, and I was telling her to stay in bed, and she kept talking, and I said, be quiet, Anaya. And you know what she said to me? Dad! You're being firm. She doesn't like it when my voice raises any. And so we're trying to teach her that that's to get her attention. Sometimes it's okay to be firm. Well, Jesus, in the midst of this discussion with his disciples, gets very firm. Look at the words again. In verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus gives a stern warning about getting in the way of those who are coming to him with a childlike faith. In fact, it's probably, the, it, it's probably the darkest moment in the words of Jesus that we have. And it's much more, I, I think, expressive of his emotions, even of that moment we think about where he went into the temple and he, he cleared the tables where they were selling things. And we think of him as being angry at that moment. Because what Jesus said is, yeah, you... You want to be great, then you come to me like these little children have come to me. But let me go a step further. If you don't receive these children from coming and let them come to me, or if you keep them from coming to me, or if you cause them to stumble when they're trying to come to me, man, that makes me really mad. And he said, rather than dealing with me, you would be better off having the millstone of a donkey tied around your neck. Now, what's the millstone of a donkey? A millstone would be this large, round, carved-out boulder that was used in this press 
to crush either grain or nuts. The donkey would be hooked up and he would go around the press turning the millstone, which weighed hundreds of pounds, so that the crushing would take place. And so Jesus is saying, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, if you get in the way of them running after me, it would be better that you die the most excruciating and painful and gross death that you can imagine than that you come in contact with me. Just let that sink in. Jesus says this is a big deal. Think about putting all these verses together. Adults can be the ones bringing their children to Jesus. That's what happened in Matthew 19. But adults can also be the greatest roadblock to a child's faith. How could we be a roadblock? Well, let me just give you some of the common ones. Hypocrisy. Now, I don't like talking about hypocrisy because that's not an excuse for not coming to church because there are hypocrites everywhere. I went to Publix this week and it was full of hypocrites. I went to a movie a few weeks ago and the theater was full of hypocrites. Some of you went to a ball game this weekend. Hypocrites everywhere. And we say, I'm not going to church with a bunch of hypocrites. But what about this word hypocrisy? Here's what happens. Children see us put on our Sunday clothes. They used to see us take our Bible in hand. A lot of us don't do that anymore. We just look on our phones or something. They see us nod our heads and may even see us raise our hand when we sing. But then they go home and they see a different mom or dad. They see that we don't honor the things of God or that we... Don't treat each other with kindness and respect. Or worse, they see that we're flippantly disobedient to the commands of scriptures. And one after another of our children are saying, if that's what this is all about, I want nothing of it. Hypocrisy. But then there's misplaced priorities. Parents or grandparents who have idols instead of leading their children to Jesus. There's something I've been saying for a number of years and I want to remind you of it today. If parents don't expect your children to prioritize the things they watch you marginalize. When you have things in your life that you put over that relationship with God and they see you do that for 18 years, don't be surprised when everything in their life as an adult takes precedent over the things of God. Whether that be their sports or their gymnastics, dance, music. Let me just give you some facts. Did you know there's a 0.0296 chance that your child will become a professional athlete? There's a 0.0086 chance that your child will become a famous celebrity. But there's a 100% chance that your child will stand before Jesus and account for their lives. Don't sacrifice your children's eternal destiny on the altar of their or your present desires. 
Yeah, participate in travel ball if you must, but let them see that church is a priority. Our son Luke is a very smart young man. He's talented musically and he's going to be in a play this week at his school. He's, in a, he's a gifted athlete. And as he came up playing soccer, man, it was important for us to be there and cheer him on. You know, my dad's my hero. I miss him every day of my life, but, but my dad wasn't at my ball games. And so I, I kind of turned heaven and earth to, to be there for that for my kiddos. Man, I, I loved watching Luke on the field, but as he got older, his team, which would travel all around this state, they would begin to have games on Sunday. And this is what they knew from the beginning. If their game on Sunday is at a time it would keep us from being together at church, then Luke, one of their best players, wouldn't be in the game. And guess what? He's not bitter. In fact, Luke surrendered his life to ministry. He's running after Jesus. And his team, man, they wanted him there when he could get him. Parents, are you prioritizing the right things? Are you making a difference in the things that mattered? Misplaced priorities. And then there's missed opportunities. Barna Research says that 27% of youth group students, those who come to church, say that their family regularly discussed spiritual things or or prayed with them. That means of those who come to church, which think about any of our high schools, what is that? Is it 5%? Of those who come to church, only one in four say their parents ever talk spiritually with them or ever pray with them. How are we missing this? How do you correct this? You have teachable moments. When you see something wrong in society, you explain why it's wrong. When the news is talking about things that affect the people of God, you explain to them why we are pro-life. Why we believe marriage is sacred between a man and a woman. Why the things of God are important. Don't just tell them rules. Teach them scripture. Explain to them that everyone is valuable and created in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. Tell them why you do what you do. And then have times of family worship or prayer. It's not hard. Just go around the family and pray. If there's two of you, that's two prayers. If there's three of you, that's three. Teach them that they can talk to God just as they're talking to you. I need you to understand that the church needs to be a place where your child is furthered in their discipleship. But the church is not responsible for your child's discipleship. In fact, if all your children get is what they get in a couple of hours at church on Sunday, you're going to lead them out into this world spiritually handicapped. That's why Lifeway Christian Research says that 66% of students who grow up in church no longer remain active after the age of 18. 
The church is not solely responsible, but we should be able to grow in our faith at church. So as a church, we must constantly be asking, are we doing whatever it takes to reach those that are coming behind us? I heard a story from a pastor friend that breaks my heart. He says there was an older couple in the church that were very unhappy and he had an intent to try to help them in what they were dealing with. So he called them into the office and, and he said, I, I know you're not happy. You don't even come to worship and you always look mad. <laughs> what's going on? And the lady spoke up and said, I'll tell you what's wrong. When I was little, all I ever heard is how I needed to listen to the senior adults. When I went to church, it was all about them. We had to do what the seniors wanted us to do. Now I'm a senior adult, and all I hear is it's all about the children. We have to think about the children and do what's best for them. You want to know what's wrong with me? I'll tell you what's wrong. I want it to be about me. And all across America, churches are closing their doors because people have grown up and we've started to make it about us. I've got a newsflash. If you find a church that's fulfilling all of your desires, beware. They're probably not obeying all of his commands. It's not about you. We need to pray what we sing I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. We've got to do everything to make it easier for those who are coming behind us to walk in faith. Now, why is this so important? I think there's a statement that summarizes both of these passages and what Jesus was teaching us about this generation coming behind us. When we have a childlike posture, when we come to him in faith as a child, we can better see those who are childlike in their state, and that will help us make a greater impact for the kingdom. If we as followers of Jesus see children as Jesus saw children, we will always be bringing that next generation along. So what are you going to do? Well, start right where you are. I'm looking out to those of you I can see. There's a lot of you I can't see that would be in this same category. I've got grandparents and great-grandparents in the room. I've got young parents that are just starting on the journey. Make sure you've got Jesus' perspective. You, you've probably not heard the name of the diplomat Charles Francis Adams. You've heard of his father, John Quincy Adams. Charles Francis was a diplomat, and he recorded in his diary on a day that he took his son fishing. This is what he said. Went fishing with my son. Day wasted. But we also have his son's diary. And on that same day, his son recorded. Went fishing with my father. The most wonderful day of my life. It's all about perspective. Maybe you need to change your perspective. Some of you need to serve and make a difference. You need to get off of your seat and get involved being the hands and feet of Jesus in the lives of those coming behind you. Some of you have a story that can impact the next generation. 
but you've let shame or guilt influence your use of your story rather than seeing it as a trophy of God's grace and using it for His glory. Serve and make a difference. And all of us can give and make a difference. You can say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure there's a church to reach the generation that's coming behind me. I learned this week that in this city of our central campus, in Temple Terrace, the largest mosque in North America is being built. You want to know why we're doing this campaign? I think it's so that we can say to this next generation coming behind us, we're driving a stake in the ground. We're not going anywhere. As our community changes, we're praying that hearts change. Because we're doing this for Jesus. And it's worth it. The song I mentioned has a last verse. This is what it says. After all our hopes and dreams have come and gone and our children sift through all we've left behind and they're done that. May the clues that they discover the memories they uncover Become the light that leads them to the road we each must find. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Let's pray together. the remaining invitation I want to be very simple and very direct if you're under the sound of my voice and you have a child or a grandchild or a great grandchild that needs Jesus and you'd like us to pray for their salvation would you just stand right where you are all across this room people are standing child, a grandchild, a great-grandchild who needs Jesus. One more time, just stand. So Father, in the name of Jesus, these are people who are crying out to you for the greatest thing. Lord, they're, they're crying out that those that are coming behind them would not just find them faithful, but would see you and, and have faith in you. So Lord, I pray for sons and daughters. I pray for grandchildren I pray for great-grandchildren to be saved in the name of Jesus I pray that even on this day Lord you might burden hearts to hear the gospel in a church setting or to to turn on a radio program or or to watch a podcast or to listen on the internet 
God, they might understand the gospel, perhaps through picking up a Bible and just reading the truth. Lord, I pray for salvation today. I pray that blind eyes would be opened. I pray that dark hearts would be enlightened. I pray that you would turn people from the path toward hell to the pathway to heaven. And I pray that you would do that in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray, I don't know all the relationships, but I pray for parents and grandparents and great-grandparents that you would give opportunities, Lord, for them to share the good news of Jesus with their children. And Lord, would you do this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Now, as these are still standing, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't know what this means, but I want to do whatever it takes. I want to do everything in my power to see that those who are coming behind me find us faithful. If you want to be that whatever it takes kind of person for the next generation, would you just stand? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. I'm one of those standing wherever you are. So, Father, hear our cry. Jesus, I want to love that next generation like you do. Lord, sometimes they dress differently, they act differently, they talk differently. God, help me not to become so old in my mind that I don't love like you, Jesus. And oh God, would you, would you bring life to our church? Would you allow us in the days ahead to, to see more babies born into people in our church than ever before? Would you allow us to see more teenagers, more people in our children's ministry than ever before for your glory? And God, would you give us in our hands a desire to do whatever it takes right where we are just to shine with your light and love, Jesus, as a city on a hill. We ask this in your name. Amen.